0: this is ryan and welcome to the eighth episode of the not operator podcast not a podcast i'm joined today by kilroy oh Uh, and today uh in each category we'll be talking about gaming gaming's move away from single player into multiplayer with microtransactions. uh a little bit about fallout 76 battle royale games uh some popular games today in the tech circle we're going to be talking about intel uh how they're increasing core counts uh, the fact that die shrinks aren't occurring, uh, Google's messaging and phone strategy, uh, and phones in general. And then in the firearms, uh, we'll be talking about practice consistency, round counts, um, trends within the industry, uh, and what might be going on with the military as far as choosing a potential new new caliber. So I guess we'll jump into gaming. Um, we're sort of seeing this shift from, you know, elaborate single-player games um, which would still exist but something like a like a Skyrim right which which Bethesda comes
1: out with like an Elder Scrolls game every seven eight years or they just re-release like Skyrim on every single platform as new platforms come out which seems to be their trend right now anyway <laughs> yeah every
0: year Oblivion or uh Skyrim gets gets released to a new platform
1: right um so they're sort of dealing with the whole Fallout 76 thing right now. Well, it's not just that. This I, I feel like this has been one of those things for the industry as a whole where, you know, these multiplayer games with much larger servers where it's like, we can fit 64 people on a server now. Let's go for it. Has been part of the long, slow decline of let's focus on single player. Let's deliver, the, you know, the immersive single player experience outside of some of these exclusives which still sometimes fall flat on their face. I mean, even going to, like, the Call of Duty
0: series, which is sort of one of those annual franchises that you see the same crap over and over, like, I think back to Call of Duty 2, where the campaign was first and foremost the primary goal of the game. Like, that was mm-hmm. a story-focused game, and it, w- it did a great job. I really liked Call of Duty 2, and the multiplayer was, like, it was fine, but no one really cared that much about Call of Duty 2's multiplayer. Now we're talking about... You know they were sort of phoning in the single player before, and now they just gave up completely, and that's that's not even a thing anymore.
1: Well, I, this this is probably more specific just to shooters because you see with Call of Duty, Battlefield that saw Call of Duty go back to World War II, and Battlefield decided to immediately jump up Call of Duty's ass on it, and then inside their own ass by just changing the entire way that we perceived World War II by adding a lot more random bullshit to it.
0: To be fair, they did. <laughs> start in
1: chronological order by both going back to World War One. That's fair. <laughs> but on on that note, though, I have to give it to, like, Red Dead Redemption, New God of War, and some of those other, like, smaller uh, games that did come out that were single-player focused. But you also see this movement across the industry where it's like, we can do early release now, so what did they do with Red Dead Redemption's online portion? They released it as buggy as hell, and just, you know what? Here, play on this online sandbox full of bugs while we try and fix it. Just yeah, have fun. Yeah, it's, it
0: seems like it's sort of been more and more that sort of case where you used to get day one patches and they were to fix bugs, but now what you're getting are games released with bugs, and it's not like they're already aware of them. They're like, "Oh, okay, I guess we should QA harder." Anyways, thanks for your sixty
1: bucks. We're just gonna keep working on the game now, or even Battlefield it's, Five. They it's really endemic of like the Bethesda design model, where like the fans will fix it. Cool, I
0: suppose. <laughs> Yeah, they, they've definitely taken it to a new extreme, at least with Bethesda, it was like, okay, mods are free, Bethesda's like, let's make a store and charge people for things that we're not making, yeah. um, but, like, Battlefield Five, when they announced, oh, we're also coming out with a Battle Royale mode, it's like, yeah, but the game came out in the fall, you said the Battle Royale mode's not coming out to almost spring of the following year, like, how many of these yearly franchises have players even still playing six months later? Well,
1: including one of the uh, actual parts of the single-player story wasn't immediately available, like watching like, Game sins online. That's what I saw. He was just like, you know what? I'm not even going to re- review this last par- portion because it's not available yet. So here's what you get. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sort of thinking...
0: I haven't finished Red Dead Redemption yet. I've been playing it. It does, you know, I remember back... Uh, You're talking with- about the
1: first one, not the second or both.
0: Uh, so going back to, uh, it was Reddit Redemption 1, people called it Grand Theft Auto Horse. And that's fine, like, you always need an open world game for something, it's yeah. always cool being a cowboy somewhere. Right, it's, it was entertaining, and then going to the second one, it sort of feels like the same thing, although they with really more cashed in on GTA Five. But Rockstar's just been sort of riding GTA Five's coattails, making money off their multiplayer, and I think that's what sort of precipitated the shift, is... Make a huge, huge single-player game, which takes a ton of effort, story writing, you know, animation, cutscenes, right. voice actors, all this effort, and you sell the game once, and that's it. Or, you can put out something like an Overwatch, or even a Fortnite, where, okay, I've created this sandbox, I've hardened my servers to be able to support all these players, and yeah, you, you provide updates and stuff, but, but really it's around small tweaks and balancing and mm-hmm. then cosmetic upgrades that people get charged microtransactions for right and people just and that, eat in you know they, really they like that became a that thing up. like way back in the day
1: when TF2 added hats yeah but it's definitely taken more uh, it's definitely more gotten extreme it's turn. gotten worse definitely for sure i mean like, the but the problem is you're looking at now just i would call this the development cycle of Fallout 76 where they're doing early releases they're putting people into servers And they're charging money for it for paid beta testing. I mean, Steam had a real problem with actual people, like actual early releases and
0: people saying, okay, well, they all bought my early release. I guess I don't have to work on the game anymore. I mean, Bethesda, that's a AAA developer. The fact that they're doing it is embarrassing. But even Steam had to sort of say, hey, these indie developers... You shouldn't be able to release a half-assed
1: game. It's like, and a, then K- just it's like a Kickstarter quit. scam at that point. Just like, hey, give me this money so I can give you this vaporware that I will now run to China for buy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's
0: uh, it's sort of a disturbing trend, but with, within the microtransaction world, there's this sort of balance because I remember, you know, Halo sort of my go-to franchise. So, uh, you know, Halo Two, Halo Three, they'd want to keep doing development. They come out with a new map pack. Well, guess what? Now you're sort of fracturing your player base. People who bought the new maps, people who didn't buy the new maps. So not only are you having your player base shrink over time, but now you're sort of splitting it into two camps that can't even play with each other. And that was objectively not a good strategy. So when Halo 5 implemented their, hey, you can earn all these things in the game normally, and reasonably, I did. I put a lot of time into Halo. Mm -hmm. I have all the... Uh, Warzone things I could possibly want. I've unlocked are, uh, all of the the um, cosmetic stuff and other people were buying them because they were lazy or they had too much money or whatever it was but it meant that Halo was able to continue developing new maps,
1: new gameplay, um, right, but balance you're, you're, the game. You're looking at it from a maps and gameplay perspective. Those are places you go to and things you do versus things you use because a lot of the games and development cycles end up with a lot of microtransactions that focus around things you can use here's a new, you know, piece of chest armor that gives me plus blah, and that makes me rapey now. Well, that or, was the Battlefront 2 model, right? Where they said is basically play to win, or pay r- to win, right? Right, and that's more of an MMO model. <laughs> yeah. That is definitely an MMO model that we see leaking in here, because, like, MMOs are, you know, a dime a dozen at this point. Like, WoWs blazed the trail way back in the day, and suddenly we have China all over everything, and you'll find, like, Sword Art Online, and also all these, like, different other random shits online, where oh, you can sit here and grind for a million years and get this thing and get to level X, or you can pay us 50 bucks and you can be there now. Yeah, although it wasn't Blizzard charging those prices. It used to be pay to win in the
0: sense that other people had to play. Oh, no, I was just talking about them. the MMO
1: model as a oh, whole. Oh, like Bliz- Blizzard appeared, and it was like, hey, did you know you can get people to log on to your server and sit there forever and ever? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of illustrating the Halo model as the
0: most positive outcome, where people pay for sort of inconsequential things in order to fund my gaming experience. I got years out of Halo 5 as a result of continued development that I didn't have to pay for. I paid Mm -hmm. the upfront cost for the game, and I got new gameplay for years and years on
1: the backs of other people wanting to pay for armor, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, it it was also the same with, like, Killing Floor, because I'm a lot like, PC gaming and Killing Floor 2 and some of the others, and, like, Payday 2. Payday 2 is actually especially egregious because they would... Release a new weapon pack every now and again, and they were inconsequential, but they were themed like the John Wick weapon pack or the whatever Bane decided to roll out of his fucking garage from the Russians that w- that weekend. And yeah. it it added to the game experience, but changed the game balance, and then they would immediately change the meta game balance as they went along. And some of that actually was extremely detrimental, where like if you didn't have this weapon from this niche met- uh, pack, you could no longer fill that space. I mean, the problem
0: sort of becomes like. As long as they're innocuous things that are that are being, you know, charged, right? As opposed to Battlefront two where it was essentially pay to win, these things mm-hmm. it would take you a million years to unlock all this stuff and if you could and even it do made it you better the game. One. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, you look at other games, I, I sort of keep in my head thinking back to Fortnite where tons of people are buying aesthetic only things, right? Mm-hmm. There's no pay to win model there, but but mm-hmm. there's tons of aesthetic choices, and they're, like, you'll pay like the for skin all Like
1: Counter-Strike. Yeah,
0: except mm-hmm. the problem now is that the development is not going into improving the game per se. You're spending all this development time just building new aesthetic crap to sell people, and mm-hmm. so the, the microtransaction sort of feeds on itself. I mean, well, Fortnite, in my opinion, is sort of... This epidemic that, that I was part won't get of into in a sec, the tuna sect.
1: Let's say that uh, the aesthetic only thing was actually kind of a small reward. What Valve used to do was like the CS people, the Counter Strike people would be able to develop like or make a skin or something, something nice, and you'd be able to sell it yourself, just like, and Valve would approve it somewhere. I mean, it it'd enter the market. So I, at I, least I wasn't if, familiar if, with how that worked. If I'm remembering correctly, I may be completely fucking wrong at this point. I'm, so I'm actually probably going to drop the topic pretty soon, but from what I understood there were some people who did make aesthetic only things that Valve worked into their games and they could make a small amount of profit on it. interesting and so that was part of like keeping the community alive like CSGO and like well not CSGO whatever the, whatever the fuck Counter-Strike we're on at this point I think it's GO still GO? okay because I haven't played in quite some time and, like, I, I dropped after like 1.6 in Source and Source wasn't even that good to me but beyond that, the uh, the keeping the community alive, keeping the community interested, I think we're seeing as end users just a lot of the reflection of trying to keep a community alive by getting them involved in like stuff, just things that make people want to come back to the game, like collectibles, things you can grind for, things you can pay for. And then also the things that will keep people interested in them in the esports arena, which has gotten a lot bigger recently.
0: Yeah, there's always sort of a negative associated with catering to professional only. Then there's the risk in in sort of focusing on casual only. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all these things that you say, okay, well, there's benefits, right? Because if it's, uh, you know, there's a big professional market, that means the game's going to be supported for a while. If it's, you know, sufficiently supported by casuals, it means that... The money's making money, and it's a franchise that'll right. continue getting investment. But
1: which you is actually get interesting, just because of how far we've come. Like if you look back on it, it, used to be video games were a thing that you handed to a person, they played it for a handful of hours, and they put it away. Yeah, and like competitive video gaming is like a thing now, and it's a it's a big thing. Yeah, you know, it's you can, bigger than Korea. Yeah, it's it's crazy, <laughs> and online also. I mean,
0: the I feel like the bar has been raised as far as level of gameplay goes. I felt feel like before you could be a pretty good amateur player yeah. and dominate most of your games and now there's so many people that dive into the meta and or spend hours. Of playing. Like look at
1: League of Legends. That's a free game. Like here you go. Play it and it's competitive. Crazy
0: combat And <laughs> I think all of their microtransactions were also cosmetic. Yeah, uh, although there's... I think there were some player unlocks as well. I can't remember. Uh, I, really I, I, never, I never played LOL just because of what I saw happen to people I know. <laughs> it just wasn't my type of game. Yeah. Um, we sort of have this, going back to the Fortnite thing, because I describe it as an epidemic. You get this sort of, you know, I, I hate to always say casuals are ruining gaming, but there is sort of that where Fortnite has invaded every possible platform people are playing it on mobile sure. you know i have my teenage and elementary school cousins talking about fortnite you were the same with halo yeah the difference was that i was quote unquote into video games and they're not yeah. they don't have a gaming console they don't do pc
1: gaming they have a phone and their friends got into this thing and so they no, just played in their free time um, sure, it's like comic books and whatever else. This just this is just another wave. I, I take it as part of like the natural going of things like Minecraft, which is still popular as like adult Legos or Legos you give to kids with explosions in it and weird shit. Um, as just another natural part of the movement of our culture and our cycles. It's just that Fortnite happens to be the thing that stuck and that makes all of us really sad. It's interesting because
0: Minecraft was sort of that first to break out of the traditional gaming mold and show up on mobile devices. It was on tablets, it was on PC, it was on console. Because it was written in (laughs) JavaScript. I know, but I'm saying, uh, I think it was actually Java. Java. Just regular Java, sorry, regular
1: Java. Um, I don't know, it was written in regular Java, you could play it in a browser, you could play it on mobile, you could play whatever, and it ported super well because, I don't know, garbage collection on Java will take care of it. Yeah, but, but I don't mean as far as
0: platform compatibility as much as the audience that, that accepts, you know, kids. Right.
1: Kids love it because it's like a it. sandbox, it's a literal sandbox where you can build stuff and there's just enough, like, the, just enough sense of danger, just enough sense of engagement from the environment back to you that it keeps you addicted to it. And then there's also, like, the depth of modability to it, where if you can write Java, you can write a mod. Yeah,
0: I just needed was sort of the first one to, sure. to latch onto that crowd, and it's sort of interesting, as Fortnite has blown up, the fact that Minecraft is even able to still keep, you know, sort of a hold on its population, because as we're just describing, there's sort of these trends. It's, I would it's a, a different of a class of game, out. I
1: think. It's a different class of imagination exploration. Fortnite's, like, one of the, like, obviously the Battle Royale genre that I think PUBG really started on.
0: Ah, completely. Yeah. I'm still... You know, not diehard PUBG. I think it has a lot of flaws. I think the control scheme is something that you, um, you don't get good at. You sort of wrestle into submission. That's I, the best way I can describe the control scheme for PUBG. I feel like but that's just a side effect of you playing on a controller because you're a controller fag. I mean, I'm playing it on an Xbox, so everyone's right. playing it on a controller. It's just a bad control scheme. Sure, on a controller. I'm sure that could be like. I mean, the Small game itself tested. had tons of tons of issues, right? The it, it still has
1: tons of issues, from what I understand. There's just like other crap that's wrong. with I it. just like
0: the core gameplay a lot more than yeah. Fortnite. Fortnite is faster. You have the building mechanics. It's a lot more cartoony. It's,
1: it's PUBG meets fucking Minecraft. Yeah,
0: I, I sort of. I was a little tempted to get Call of Duty Blackout or like Black, Black, Ops. Black Ops with Blackout mode. I Call mean, that Duty, was when, D- Call of Duty Titanfall. <laughs> Call of Duty Titanfall with <laughs> PUBG. <laughs> Um, I suppose. Well, because it'd be nice to have a company that has a solid game engine and play on that, but I just sort mm-hmm. of moved away from the Call of Duty games so much. And Let, Let's all remember exactly what
1: happened with Black Ops 1's multiplayer. Oh, that was a nightmare. Yeah, it was let's, let's just go ahead and remember that right now. Everybody AK-74, a SU, no other guns. Yeah, it's just like the double-barrel shotgun does zero
0: damage up close. <laughs> yeah, you, you literally couldn't kill someone with it. it was that was like, like some of the worst it, balancing yeah, I've ever seen could, in a gave, game. gave you an achievement if you managed to get a kill with it. That was bad. Uh, so I, I sort of, I wish
1: PUBG just had a better game engine, but I like the style of play a lot more than Fortnite. <laughs> it's funny because it just got wildly popular out of, no, from an ARMA mod. That's where it came from. Yeah. And that's really the main issue with it. It came out of ARMA, so you're like, well, the super clunky ARMA controls, welcome to everyone else. I, I guess I'll keep it the same and keep devving on it. Yeah. Yeah, they were
0: sort of, they got popular too fast for their own good, and Epic was sort of just ready... With their Fortnite... You want to publish? You want to publish? You want to let's publish? Well, they, they had the game, and they were like, what if we add a Battle Royale mode to their game? And they're like, let's forget about original name. This is uh, original game. This is just Battle Royale now. But they already had the game like dev and ready and multiplayer tested and whatever, mm. so it was just plug and play for them, whereas PUBG was like, Hey, I came up with this cool concept as a mod. Oh, oh! I have to develop it into a real game now? Like, I that's way harder. Things. I mean, they don't even have a company, right? They have yeah. to start hiring developers. It was like a bunch of guys
1: just going, Oh, fuck, what, we, what, what monster have we created? Yeah. So it was kind of like DayZ. Like, you remember that? I do. That was yeah. popular for a while. Well, it's it's still here. It actually just recently came out of early release into regular release.
0: That's surprising.
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't vaporware. Interesting. Like, the DayZ guys stuck around. They said, Hey, you paid money. We'll make you a game. And there was like a million other competitors that came out with vaporware. <laughs> and some of it was wasn't so much vaporware as it was just a horribly developed half a game that never really got anywhere. There was one an especially egregious one I remember like they just had a ton of Fallout on Steam that I don't remember the name of now because it was that bad. Sorry, you just triggered me for Fallout again. <laughs> Sure, let's talk about Fallout 76. Let's let's change gears, talk about this Fallout crap that's happened.
0: I mean, it's sort of going back to what we started on, which is, hey, let's create a multiplayer experience. Um, There's no NPCs, but you can still play it solo if you want. And aside from the what I consider highly unappealing premise, the, the point that I was never even interested in the game. Sure. They then released it completely buggy. There were the issues where people pre-ordered with this canvas bag, and they got this, like... Nylon you know, bullshit n- nylon. tote bag from, yeah, it was, I don't know, like a supermarket bag. Like, yeah. thank you for NPR donations. It was just a nightmare from start to finish from release, but I don't know how they thought that was going to be successful, and it's just sort of like Bethesda. Oh. Everyone loves your single-player games... Do you remember Elder Scrolls Online? That was not what I consider a successful game. Just
1: don't is that still stay here? in your lane. You know, like yeah. focus
0: on the things that you do well and that people like you for. Stop trying to or break just into these. Stop like,
1: announcing things before you've properly researched how to develop inside of them. <laughs> because Fallout seventy six, from what I understand and seen of some of these uh, other gaming news write ups, is that they went and go went ahead and developed right off of their old Fallout four engine.
0: Ooh, I don't was, know that I would start. On right the for no, a multiplayer no. Yeah, game. yeah No, didn't know
1: they took their fallout 4 engine and just went and said okay let's put it up on multiplayer and it turned out that engine cannot handle more than x number of players on there that sounds about right yeah and so that's why you see a lack of npcs and uh stuff to interact with it's because of the engine itself and now that they're realizing it they're like going back and trying to change some of the things that was that was maybe a month ago like from where i read that and they're offering refunds which is <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was
0: that was a nightmare what is that. like I'm just glad that at least they showed... It wasn't even a teaser. It was more like a title announcement of a new Elder Scrolls game. And I'm I'm ready. I'm waiting. I, I, your body is ready. And yeah. your Elder Scrolls I, online I, too, I, man. I don't need... Elder Scrolls Daggerfall for fun. No, 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 I don't need Skyrim on another platform. Let's <laughs> put it that way. I, I did like their Skyrim on Alexa thing. That was hilarious. I thought it was... Like, the commercial was an April Fool's break, and then... Right. A friend of mine with an
1: Alexa, I tried it, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, it, it's great because it harkens back to the day of the old text adventure. It's true. Yeah, and like that that really still has its own charm, and some of us that are getting older now, and some of the people that were there for the beginning of gaming were like, oh, this is hilarious because it's awesome, and uh, I need to go change my colostomy bag because I'm that old. <laughs> I kind of miss uh, top-down uh, RPG, you know, turn-based
0: RPGs. Earthbound and Chrono Trigger; those are those are good times. Yeah.
1: Well, there's that. That is an entirely separate like class of game in and of itself. Oh, now. I know. I'm just sort of reminiscing. Right. Sure. No, though indie developers have really hearkened on that, and there was actually a communications class back in college that actually went into D makes such as that. That's true. I remember that. Yeah, but the indie game market has like exploded, which is amazing and great. It's just and. I mean, even on the open source side, there's always been a couple of like plug and play sort of make your own RPG adventure things on Python. And, like, I really think
0: Epic has sort of, um, or was it Unreal or, or Unity Engine? It's basically if you're an indie developer, they'll just give it to you. They'll just
1: give it to you. Yeah, no, we downloaded nice. it on Unreal a few times, like back in the day when it was like Unreal 2.5 or whatever, and you're just like, here you go. Just like, you can dev-, dev on it. Just if you need to release it, well, there's
0: licensing. <laughs> yeah, there's so many game libraries, though, that. I think indie development has become well, like easier the than punch. ever, but it's yeah. just sort of hard to stay relevant in that, you know, in that world of, of
1: it's just busy. There's so much going yeah. on. and some things enter development hell. Like, there's uh, one of our friends online, like, you know, him does fun job. He's just, uh, he had a friend who was sitting there trying to develop a puzzle VR game to, to like, jump on the VR hype. That's hard. Oh, it, it came out. It was, like, missed for VR, but... Interesting and was it good? Yes. No. 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 <laughs> no it it came out well. It was received i I'd say seventy percent, seventy out of a hundred, something like that. Okay. I was like, it was okay. And, uh, the only reason he's happy where he is right now is because he used a bunch of initial investment to buy Nvidia stock and it jumped. And so he bought a house with that money. I hope he sold because Nvidia just dropped. Right. He sold ages ago. Oh, okay. So he's got a bunch of money. Okay. Yeah. Well, so like the only reason he survived going from college to indie development was because he had a bunch of other investments going anyway. That game was not going to sustain him. He actually is kind of cut ties with it. <laughs> I have to And it was I his mean, baby. I have to imagine it's hard to make a
0: ton of money as an indie developer unless you get crazy lucky, like the guy who made PUBG. Right. Um,
1: and or like the guy that sold the rights to fucking Daisy back in the day. Yeah. There's tons of these things, like tons of these random developer things.
0: So, it makes me tempted to start talking about VR, but we're almost at the end of our gaming section, so yeah, that's just, I guess that's we'll stop. good there.
1: Well, one last
0: question. Are there any games that you can think of that you're really excited for
1: within the next, let's say, year or two, if you know anything? I honestly have not been keeping up with gaming. I've actually been going back and seeing a lot of these new remasters come out and stuff like that, and I was actually considering buying a switch so i'd have access to dark souls on switch and gross hey you spend a lot of time sitting on a truck in the middle of a field for no fucking reason you may as well keep something on you can keep you entertained i
0: guess my
1: <laughs> i don't want to get into a whole note
0: nintendo route i mean that's like I'll, I'll rant about that for days but i guess it is a mobile gaming platform but not a console so sure for sitting in a truck why not but what you're saying is if you're buying a nintendo
1: device you want to jump on the nostalgia train yeah, <laughs> You want to you, you want to jump on stuff that's already been bug fixed That's already been tested That can exist on current hardware without much trouble Yeah, I just don't like paying $60 for 15-year-old games <laughs> <But laughs> Alright, it's, it's, well it's, 16, it's games that you can fit in your pocket, now. That's true We actually have a guy at work that actually runs around with a Switch in his pocket So that when there's a lull, he just pulls it out and everybody plays Smash, Smash on it I guess That's not the way to play Smash Yeah <laughs> Anyway, uh, moving on to tech.
0: Yeah. All right. So, um, I guess the latest Intel came out with their process, latest line of processors early this year. They called it the nine thousand series. They have their whole i nine setup. What's sort of interesting to me is they. I feel like they've run out of ideas. Where they're sort of like, okay, um, well, we haven't been able to do a die shrink in forever. I think this is on the third or fourth iteration of the fourteen nanometer. Um, sure. process how's that compared to what amd's been doing i mean amd really challenged intel when they came out with ryzen and, sure. and put out like a true eight core processor mm-hmm. uh at the mainstream end to and the moon. It, it really didn't compete <coughs> The single thread performance wasn't there Sure, uh, gaming performance wasn't there as a result of that mm-hmm. but for people how many nanometers maybe?
1: are we have just to put it on 14 okay
0: Um, I believe Samsung is working on seven nanometers at the moment and TSMC is building a new Keep in mind for the
1: folks at home, let's just talk about where that puts us as far as physics go, because this is like to the point where if we shrink it smaller, we're now dealing with quantum physics and it's actually making it extremely difficult anyway. There's sort
0: of a range, right? (laughs) So silicon, I've heard... Are we on to graphene? (laughs) No, not yet. I've heard that 7 <laughs> nanometers or 10 nanometers is sort of the physical limit of silicon at, at that point. <laughs> electrons, you know, a transistor is either on or off. Mm-hmm. Uh, electrons will no longer have enough resistance blocking them from Being jumping. Being on and off. Yeah, so, so you can't really shrink... Um, silicon down beyond that and you have to move to new materials and that would be sort of a first for the industry so sure. they've struggled to get it down even to 10 nanometers though and there's all sorts of challenges that I honestly, I'm not I'm not a hardware guy per se so sure. I, I can't get into the details because I don't know them but Intel's really been struggling to get past this 14 nanometer mark sure. so would um, you say uh, Samsung's working on it? Samsung's working on it more um, so than everybody else is working on it in general. I think they're probably the closest, but they have a little less complexity to deal with because what they're focusing on is I think just the the flash member, the NAND hmm. uh, whereas Intel has to be able to develop a complex processor on that okay. on that uh, architecture. Sure. Um, so what they've started doing understand. is that <laughs> <laughs> they've been increasing core counts. So like last gen, they started introducing hexacore models mm-hmm. on mainstream processors, and now they've come out with octa processors processors on mainstream, you know, within the mainstream. And sure. it's sort of like... You know, you guys no, you really. can play Fortnite on your workstation. I, I suppose, <laughs> but it's really it's indicative of them having run out of ideas because mm-hmm. what they did before was
1: if you you. Well, got this is Ox- the same slump that uh, AMD was in for a little while. Add more cores. They
0: yeah, <laughs> I mean it's true, but they just at least at the time the cores made more sense. Intel is cannibalizing their own low-end enterprise, high-end um, enthusiast market in order mm-hmm. to increase these core counts because the issue is before they had quad cores, right? And if you wanted to get a higher core count, you'd have to buy um, something on the X-series chipset mm-hmm. or you'd have to go up to a Xeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you're able to buy uh, a Z-series motherboard and put an eight-core chip in there. Mm. Uh, they've been pumping clock speed, but it means that, you know, they haven't really been able to, to make any sort of real strides when it comes to um, uh, single, or uh, what is it, I... IPC, I, I can't remember the acronym, but basically, uh, a single thread uh, mm. processing capabilities. Sure. Yeah. Um, I they're at a physical limit pretty much when it comes to overclocking. They're they're going to start hitting the limits they did back in the Pentium days,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and the increasing the core count is really starting to yield, uh, de- you know, depreciating, uh, returns returns. Sure. Um, so if they don't if they don't hit a new process soon. I don't know what they're going to be really bringing to the table. It's hard to compel people to buy your processor right. when you're really churning out, you know, what's or effectively a three-gen old CPU with, sure. you know, maybe slightly increased power or power usage. Do you think this will show in their prices on market for each individual unit? I think it sort of depends on how. AMD manages to improve their their actual performance, right? So mm-hmm. they're already within the same core count. They've sort of motivated Intel to try and match them in that respect. If AMD can put out a good, you know, a, a high-performing processor um, at a lower price point, which is sure. sort of their shtick, so to speak, yeah. then Intel will be forced to respond. Because suddenly right. AMD will be competitive and they have their... Um, their boards are all uh, modular, you can Mm -hmm. sort of swap from one gen to another, Sure, sure. there's a lot of advantage I haven't quite jumped back on the AMD train yet, but I'm more than glad to see Intel getting challenged for the first time in 10 years. At this point in my life I'm mostly just waiting for AMD shares to go to the moon (laughs) Well I I think their i9 branding well, Intel's i9 branding was a joke when it first came out, they're sort of confusing consumers with their current Naming scheme and it's sort of just yeah. if your processor starts with a six, you probably don't need to an upgrade. And if you need a new computer for some reason, whatever, like just buying the three to four hundred dollar range and anything you get is going to be fine. Sure. So, um, well,
1: Intel circling that. Let's talk about Google circling. <laughs> That's a whole
0: other. That's software it's am- side. Yeah, it's amazing how a company that big manages to be so consistently dumb.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I love the fact that uh, I have one of their older Nexus uh, tablets now, and on my Hangouts, it has a constant notification showed at the top saying, "This your Hangouts no longer supports SMS messaging. Please swap to a different app." (laughs) I use it anyway because you know, fuck
0: them. I mean, it's crazy. I I posted about this online the other day, and it's Google's messaging strategy, and it's possible. I've talked about it on your Facebook, not not up because we haven't published anything in forever.
1: Just yeah. to clarify. Yeah, I guess that should be made clear. Uh, There's nothing to read, folks, unless you know him personally. <laughs> um,
0: their messaging strategy has always been mind-boggling to me. They had Google Talk, and they released Hangouts, and they had Google Voice, and they said, mm-hmm. okay, let's start making Let's it more start a phone company. For, I mean, <laughs> Apple did an amazing thing with iMessage. It sort of seamlessly works with SMS. Mm-hmm. And it works, you know, as a, online, you receive it on all your devices. Sure. I think you get a chat history, although I'm not sure... But Google said, okay, let's do that with Hangouts, right? So they sort of deprecated Google Talk. They started rolling SMS into Mm -hmm. Hangouts. They made it their official texting app, sort of moving away from Android Messages
1: whatever that original one was yeah. but either way it was a good unification of the platform and we all appreciated that at least those of us who were bought in deep enough into the Google platform and it was improving and then one day
0: they said what if we did the opposite of that and they what if we made allo they deprecated sms support in hangouts mm-hmm. they announced that hangouts was going to pivot to enterprise focus to try and compete with slack Mm -hmm. They announced Allo and Duo, Allo being a messaging platform without SMS capabilities. It was like a pseudo WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Duo, which was voice calling or video calling only, except you could only at the time do one-on-one video calls, whereas Hangouts you could do... One uh, to many. Yeah, like five to ten people at a time. It was sort of like, why are you releasing new messaging applications that are less featured than your existing one? It just... I don't understand. And now they've, they've sort of...
1: Well, they've always had this weird schizophrenic design strategy. Like, everybody... Nobody... Well, nobody remembers Google Wave at this point. Huh. <laughs> That's true.
0: But, like, Google Voice had been rolled into Hangouts and, and sure. then they sort of rolled it back out of Hangouts. Yeah,
1: Google Voice is now in some weird, like... Limbo between that and like it's still integrated with Project Fi. Now that you and I are both on Project Fi, it's interesting because Google Voice still works with it, and it's gonna have to continue being a thing because you can't fish your number back out of there. Right. If you that was the thing. Like with voice, you could roll your number over to voice and back again, and it was not. It was not a huge, huge deal with Fi if you rolled your number over to voice join Fi and tried to get your number back no it's theirs now they own it (laughs) interesting I thought you were still able to you cannot take take your number back from Fi now that it's in voice and Fi it it just seamlessly added together to fuck you up the ass
0: I feel like I know someone who was able to transfer their number to T-Mobile from Fi it's possible they've
1: changed it since you last looked into it yeah uh, yeah, that was like the early on because I realized my vo- number was on voice as well as uh, T-Mobile when I switched to Fi back in the early days of Fi because I got it what two years, three years ago? Yeah, like, three years ago, early on. Yeah, super early during the their cycle. They may have fixed that. They may have changed it because it was actually just one of the biggest problems that I see with them just uh, Google will do a lot of things that they'll just go ahead and dig themselves a hole, uh, move the dirt on top of them, ask you to tuck them in. Well,
0: so <laughs> so what happened is as they were rolling these out, they started supporting Android Messages again. It's been developed by Google now. And Allo was sort of this failed experiment where they released it sort of half-baked, said a bunch of features are coming soon. And less than a year later, they announced they were stopping developing development mm-hmm. on it. And they announced that Hangouts has Hangouts Chat and Hangouts Meet. Hangouts Chat being a Slack alternative, Hangouts Meet just being for video calling. You want a Slack and now update. they announce they're they're going to deprecate Hangouts like standard and roll people into Hangouts Chat, which is really an enterprise application I honestly don't comprehend what they're me- I, I I honestly can't even really call it a messaging strategy. It's the opposite of a strategy. Whatever that is, it's rolling dice and being like are we consolidating applications today or rolling out new random ones?
1: Mm. Uh,
0: but, you know, it's it's not been limited to their messaging. Like, I just feel like for such a big company with that much money and that many...
1: Well, we like, used to think they were people, on the same line as Valve where you'd go, this is a really interesting idea. I'd like to develop it, so I'm going to throw a bunch of money at it, see where it goes. and If nothing happens with it, we'll go ahead and get rid of it. And it sort of felt like that's what they were
0: doing. That's how they came out with Gmail. That's The Nexus program was phenomenal. Yeah. And they moved away from
1: that. The, the problem is they're no longer Skunkworks and stuff. They're just turning into like the schizophrenic, let's make everything we can the way we feel like we should. And I feel like that might be a reflection of something inherent to the company's development culture that we've seen come to the surface now and again. Yeah. Because there have been complaints and there have been issues from the inside of Google that obviously they try to tamp down on, especially if that one guy got fired after saying that, like, Supposedly racist or to sexist or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, that was like a, a whole issue. I, I right, think but it, it, whether it, he was right or
0: wrong is sort of endemic to right. The fact it brought that these up the idea feel- of a
1: monoculture uh, inside of Google as far as development goes, and like I, their hierarchical rank structure may differ, but like that was also another issue that you actually heard about from inside of Valve from people who decided to leave Valve. Oh, interesting. Um, saying how like even though Valve said they have like a flat structure, there were there were cliques, there were people, there were people who obviously wielded power. Gotcha. So it was just—it's another one of those things where we, as the consumer, will just see products and a schizophrenic development strategy where things will go in eighteen different directions at once, and no clear direction is chosen. While they're actually experiencing internal upheaval.
0: Yeah, I mean, we were on Google Fi. I have a Pixel Three. I, their phone strategy makes no sense to me. The Nexuses were all phones that I loved or were interesting. They were mm-hmm. sort of what what you know. Well, who are they? Uh, one by? Plus. They are made by partners lg htc huawei right but i'm saying like OnePlus is sort of filling that niche of providing a high-end experience at sort of a mid-tier price point an and enthusiast the, phone is yeah I mean. and the pixel phones were i was excited when it first you know got announced because the issues with the nexus phones were you felt like you weren't getting first-party support for, from google for these things and i'm like okay they're really gonna they're gonna have a hardware team these you know they should be the best in the world like let's let's come up with something interesting and the first phone came out and you're like you you just took like an iPhone ripoff from HTC and shoved your software onto it okay, okay round two will be better I'm sure yeah and the pixel 2 came out and it was better but it was sort of still like hey that that design seems really like uninspired. <laughs> Derivative. Why are there two versions that look completely different? Why Why is one made by HTC and one made by LG, and why do they have different panels? One has a Samsung panel, one has an LG panel. Mm -hmm. It's like what you're supposed to be cohesive. Finally, what is this nonsense that you're putting out? And they're like, well, there was an issue. We were going to work with Huawei, and I I don't know. They they basically said, okay, fine. We're rolling HTC employees into Google (coughs) now, and so we'll be able to really come out with a phone that that you know has the features that we want and the Pixel 3 comes out and people say oh did you upgrade to the Pixel 3 I'm like sort of <laughs> they're like what do you mean you have a Pixel 3 this, though and I'm this, like this yeah, whole industry wide thing too about
1: well not industry wide more so like our flagship teams here at Google and Apple moving away from having a three and a half millimeter jack <sighs> That thing that that still makes me angry.
0: Me too, but it's more egregious when it comes to Google because Apple because they just is, copied Apple
1: at that point. It's
0: it's yeah. I mean that's what makes it worse because Apple takes a, a decision that we think is objectively stupid, and they'll do it anyway. It's it's negative for the consumer, and they'll do it anyways with the expectation that people will probably not like it. Mm-hmm. Google sees that they see the response, they see that people hate it, they see that they're they angry. actively I mean, make fun of it. Yeah, the Pixel <laughs> One made fun of the fact or. Pixel 2 made fun of the fact. And they took it away anyway. No,
1: it was the Pixel 1, because Pixel 2 was already gone. Yeah, Pixel 1 made fun of the fact. No, it was early on during the Pixel 2's release cycle, like before the Pixel 2 had come out yet, and they were saying, like, oh yeah, the Pixel 2 won't do what Apple did to you. And then they did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It was the Pixel 2, I remember this, because that was why I ended up with a shit phone. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: just, it's so egregious, because you're like, everyone hates this, why are you copying it? There's no good reason. The notch is another example on the Pixel 3 XL. Maybe because they're trying to poach like,
1: Apple's de- uh, developers. Maybe, but
0: I, I, like, I don't understand the rationale. They're like, everyone hates this notch thing. Just what if we had a notch that's twice as big? Just because Tim Cook sucks dick doesn't mean you have to, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's I honestly don't get it. I mean, the Pixel 3... Apple came out with wireless charging on their phones. But if you remember, the Nexus 5 had wireless charging. And right. no one really cared back then.
1: Well, let's establish the baseline here. Neither of us thinks Apple is good, obviously. Yeah. That was like a thing. And Apple's like objectively, their hardware is still bad. Uh, their
0: processors, their SoCs are, are extremely good. But? But, you know, it's, it's sort of hard to benchmark because you can only benchmark it with Apple software. They're well integrated, is what I would say. Mm-hmm. I find their hardware to be underwhelming, and on the PC side of things, their laptops are a joke. Mm -hmm. But from the phones, it's harder to do an apples-to-apples comparison. (laughs) (laughs) I promise I'll stab them after this is done. (laughs) So, I mean, with the Pixel 3, it was sort of like, okay, Apple came out with wireless charging last year, which we did like
1: six years ago. Right. And then they were like... okay at best. The Qi Consortium was a good thing.
0: Well, but now what's happening is... (laughs) they can't even be like hey we did this first they're like oh yeah we're copying apple again and doing wireless charging like what do you do you seriously not remember you did it first you can say they copied you but they did it in the dumbest way possible because at least the pixel 2 had an aluminum back which felt premium and was nice Mm. and the pixel 3 it's not an open standard of wireless charging they switched to a glass back to make the phone more fragile and you have to buy like an 80 dollars charger if you want to charge your phone at the correct rate no one's going to buy that, so now I have a more fragile phone for what is effectively no reason. I'm not going to be using wireless charging. I can use the Type-C connector just fine, unless I want to be listening to music, in which case I have to listen to either music or have my phone charging. Thanks again for that
1: 3.5mm jack. Yeah, Bluetooth Bluetooth is not as good. I mean, it works, <laughs> but it's not as good. Yeah. I mean, that was probably where some of these people were managing the industry should go, and that's why they were pushing it with this stuff. I just don't understand why. At least that's what we got out of our uh, Apple engineer friend. That he, was, he was saying it was part of like, the company development strategy overall. He was, he was neither confirming nor denying because he's not actually a source inside that we can count on because he can't confirm or deny anything. But it was part of a much larger movement to try and make Bluetooth and you know wireless headphones more of a thing.
0: Yeah. No, I know that's, that's the case. But... Google has the benefit of seeing Apple make these unpopular decisions and say, hey, we're the opposite of that. We're going to provide you these things that you're not getting there. And instead, they're saying, what if we copied them but worse? Yeah. I don't understand. I I feel like this is part of the Silicon
1: Valley effect at this point, where now that they're so endemic and entrenched in our systems overall. Do they really
0: not get what makes their phones appealing to people? Is that they're not iPhones. People don't want iPhones Mm. if they're buying a Google phone. Yeah. I mean their software is great, their cameras are phenomenal. The fact they're able to put out a top rated camera despite the fact that they only have one lens when everyone else is doing dual or quad lenses and a I mean it's it's to their detriment. They if they leveraged their software and added more cameras, they'd be able to do wide angle stuff, they'd be able to, to get better zoom. Sure. Um, their their hardware is just really atrocious and there's really no no reason or excuse for it, especially because now they have a dedicated hardware division that's supposed to be doing these things well supposed to so the question is really like are phones getting substantially better i mean we we get incremental improvements every year we get do we (laughs) slightly you know better performance we'll get bigger screen real estate relative to you know they're getting bezels are getting smaller they have the stupid notches hopefully notches are almost over Mm. uh but it doesn't feel sold It it just doesn't feel like there's any big feature coming to phones that's really exciting. People talk about five G, but that's just an increase in in speed, really. Um, yeah, there's, there's it's just not so compelling. Discussion. Like I keep up on phones, but I'm not. There's no feature that I'm particularly excited about coming down the pipeline. The Pixel Three felt very incremental over the Pixel Two, and and other. I, I feel like
1: right now it's actually a software focused to the Google Assistant. Like their insistent integration is really what Google was trying to do. Especially with the crash that we were trying to expect of Chrome OS coming together with Android at some point, which seems a little closer, but not. Any yeah, I don't know how likely time. it's going to happen. But I just well, they want it. Wider, they want it because of like everybody's moving towards this. Well, obviously the, the the trend towards the Internet of Everything from previous previous time is now much more of a thing where everything is smart and everything is connected, even you and down to your fucking Skynet lights. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like that's part of their strategy in trying to get everything to be under that control, and they've just kind of let the ball drop in every other field. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, their focus
0: is definitely on software, but I want to look, you know, sort of zoom out of Google and just the phone industry in general. Like, what's happening now that's really exciting? Like, the biggest innovation I can think of of the year is fingerprint reader in the screen, which the OnePlus did. And it's cool, don't get me wrong. I'm like, oh, that's neat, but am I really going to buy a phone like, hey... I'm really excited about a new phone. It has the fingerprint reader in the screen. Like it's now it can smear my screen more. Yeah, I don't know. It's just not not highly compelling. There's nothing really motivating me to get new phones other than well, mine's not working that well or I, I could get a good deal on it or I don't know, but there's nothing that's that's particularly exciting in the way that I used to feel like wow, this is a substantial upgrade. Yeah, I mean, a I said out this better. For good reason. <laughs> I wouldn't have upgraded had I not been doing the switch to Fi, and it was.
1: Right. It just made sense for for me. Well, now that now that Fi is opening up to be able to use pretty much any Android phone, I'm, I'm actually looking to get out of this like Pixel hole. And yeah,
0: I don't blame you, even though you do get the downside of not not having access to all yeah. three networks on Fi. Yeah, that's fair. But fuck them. <laughs> I suppose I, I'd wait till next year. I mean, everything. I appreciate th- that Samsung it's a wait and see is,
1: at this point. We'll see. Like the also moving to samsung you get the issue with samsung software below, yeah. yeah i Which, wish i could pair the google software with the samsung hardware design I mean, you can it's just that it becomes i'm in a I meant it hack-a-thon. This way <laughs> yeah, yeah it becomes a hackathon i just
0: meant like a google play edition of you know the galaxy s10 when it comes out something sure. like that yeah. uh all right I, yeah. I think we should probably leave it there we bashed on google and the phone industry enough um Let's move on to firearms, firearms. get away from, well, hopefully some of the rants.
1: Well, no, this this first topic is going to be more of a rant, too, and it's now that I've gotten, what, in the past six months, 5,000 rounds under my belt from just uh, consistency of practice, and having taken somebody who could not shoot a man-sized target at 10, or even consistently at 5, taking him from that, and in consistency of practice over the course of four or five months, being able to get him out to around 10 to 15, uh, shooting a playing card. So to give background on that, uh, back in our college days, uh, Ryan and I, when it like, started shooting, uh, obviously, and um, we developed a, well, I started shooting playing cards as just kind of a, a thing, just to give, give you something to shoot at. And raw accuracy as a, uh, an idea, I believe, stays a little longer than, you know, speed, any of that kind of stuff. So if you get the good grip and you get good follow-through of your fundamentals, your accuracy ten- tends to stay for a little longer. So sort of just building that muscle memory. Yeah. Yeah. And so having seen that, actually, I have another friend who used to be a cop, and, like, that doesn't say anything, but he used to be a high-end of cop that uh, could actually shoot forth the damn... <laughs> And he said, because of the military, he hadn't shot a you know a piece of live live ammo in months. And we came back in, and he could shoot cards at ten still, like with a handgun. He had been carrying a rifle the whole time. So the question is, you know, you practice up to a level,
0: and then do you really need There's to maintain that level there, of practice? There is
1: maintenance shooting. There, like you, you no longer have to like, maintain as much consistency and round count. Because I'm doing a. I, Back when I'm where I am, it's 150 rounds a week, 50 rounds per session, which isn't not it's not a lot. It's one box of ammo per per range session. I have a membership, and it's like a five minute drive to get me out
0: there. Yeah, I mean, if you're going three times a week, even if you're not getting high round counts, you're getting a lot of repetition. Whereas right, me, I'll get I'll go shooting once every
1: two months or three right. You months. also don't dry fire worth a damn. You don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, shooting if, related. Right, that's, that's practice, and I'm sure your wife will say something. Right, he, by the way, Ryan got married in between our last podcast, which was two years ago, so congratulate him on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, as far as that goes, though, it's, it's a lot about practice. It's like any other sport, and people don't seem to realize that sometimes.
0: Well, I don't know, I've seen lots of movies where you can dual wield pistols and get nothing but headshots with no practice. If you're a cop,
1: New York cop. With your 15-pound trigger? You specifically have to be John McClane. (laughs) And in L.A. Yeah. You have to be out of your jurisdiction, in a different jurisdiction, and dual wielding. No. But that, that being said, it is something that does count, and I'm... I come in from an analytical side and I'm sure there's plenty of other people that you'll you'll like the Warrior Poet Society guy on YouTube has another rant on about the similar thing and he's a lot more experienced than I am that guy's a ranger <laughs> gotcha like actual ranger scroll ranger versus tab ranger which you obviously don't know anything about but that part ranger it. sure <laughs> anyway um, that that being said consistency consistency like going enough or practicing enough to get that consistent trigger pull and that consistent grip then just being able to do it without any loss of uh skill or degradation in that mindset is really really important because a lot of people these days like i actually had another uh friend of mine i was trying to drag to get him to go shoot more often but he just wanted to buy more and different guns because he was bad at shooting is his friend me no (laughs) another another kid another kid he's he's real young still so he doesn't he hasn't learned yet and at least my purchases are usually a good one yeah no this guy brought a he, he bought one of those micro compact XD Springfield Ugh, things gross. yeah as his first pistol and I was we all just kind of looked at him and chuckled <laughs> anyway yeah so for him he uh, the shooting was more about showing off and more about just saying that he owned a gun versus actually going out and getting good at a thing I guess that's a type of you know, I mean that, is, that is, that's a legitimate type of gun ownership. If you want to own like a billion different guns and shoot them occasionally, yeah, sure, go for it. But it's not going to get you any better at the actual act of shooting.
0: Yeah, as long as your your goal is either to improve for competition or for self defense
1: or just general or proficiency. just getting good at things. Yeah, I, and for me, I feel that the philosophy of getting better at an individual skill is better than owning a bunch of different things but that's a different philosophy questions in, in and of itself yeah
0: for me it's always been it'd be i'd like to work on something like that you know work on my shooting skills but the truth is where i live it's just not that convenient
1: you know you can dry fire more i can i dry don't firing by the way to all the folks at home dry firing is extremely useful and it has been shown that if you actually split your range time 80 20 80 being dry firing you will get better yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Once you develop
0: that trigger muscle memory, and in some ways I would say it's probably better than just going to the range and dumping mm-hmm. ammo, because you, it's much easier to develop a flinch, right? If you're yeah. practicing, practicing, practicing dry fire, you're never going to develop a flinch from that. Hopefully you can carry hopefully it over not the hopefully you, won't get, yeah. hopefully
1: you won't develop a flinch from dry fire. I mean, you're not practicing with a flinch, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no that that is the assumption, but that that is something to be said, and I feel like it needs to be reiterated whenever you, anybody has a chance. But practice will get you much further than buying new things to make your gun better. Yeah, that's accurate. Someone
0: with a lot of practice and a mediocre gun is always going to outshoot someone with an excellent gun and very little practice.
1: Yeah, so. I mean it also works out similar in similar ways with other stuff, with sports racing like racing sports anything like that yeah like the more you practice the individual skill that you take with you is the thing that will define your success later on
0: so speaking of practice last time we went shooting Mm -hmm. we we were shooting a new sig mpx Mm -hmm. and your uh your mp5 right i'm Um, shooting the ptr mp5 clone that they have so it's kind of interesting because you know for us it's been the case, and I'm sort of starting to see it in the news more, is that SMGs I feel like had sort of a resurgence. You know, the P90 came out a number of years ago, and we remember the Chris Vector being a little bit of a big deal, but it wasn't, you know, there were sort of niche guns, and it definitely feels like People are starting to reconsider SMGs again. Yeah,
1: and I feel like that's part of the movement. So if we take a step back to like let's go back to the late '80s, early '90s when SMGs were big, uh, that was because we didn't have short barrel rifles. We didn't have super small things that shot really destructive ammo. Because in between a pistol cartridge and a rifle cartridge, just overall as the pastiche of both of those two categories of rifle of ammunition, the rifle cartridge will obviously do more damage, much more easily, at any given time. Yeah, um, and getting them into a small enough package that it would fit inside of a briefcase or anything like that. SMGs were big; they were they were a big deal. You just hot loaded some nine mil, and you did what you could. And then, you know, armor got more advanced with the war and all that stuff. And then there was that really dark time where, it, when 5.7 came out in 4.8 or whatever the fuck from H&K when they made the MP7. It was all proprietary rounds. Yeah, and Knight's Armorman actually had a proprietary, like, PDW. That was the big big buzzword of the day, the personal PDW, defense weapon. Yeah. yeah.
0: I remember Magpuls as well.
1: Yeah, well, that that was just a 9mm Glock that folded inside a frame. <laughs> yeah. And then somebody came out with a real 9mm Glock that folded. No, no. Oh. The new one, the one that it's just a Glock that they sawed through and put some hinges on it. Oh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of the Roni system or it's like a the the ca- the casing for, it. for yeah. your Glock. No, yeah. those are those are still around too and they're actually much more relevant now that the ATF has changed its stance on pistol braces. Yeah, which is hilarious to me. Right. But that that's a separate discussion as far as the utility of SMGs. Looking at it, the development of the individual pistol cartridge has come quite a long way. Like uh the lethality of each individual pistol cartridge, especially of loaded to like the SAMI spec plus P plus B plus, put through something the size of an SMG, they're more effective. They're not as effective as a rifle cartridge, they never will be.
0: Yeah, so I guess the question is you know, you will find ARs with short barrels. I think as short as like a four and a half inch barrel, and you compare and those that to garbage. Well, so that's what I was going to say. You compare that to something like an MPX. Are you really getting better performance out of the 9mm? At, at, like what's what's motivating this shift away from the AR, platform the AR platform for short
1: barrel stuff? Reliability. Oh, I see. Uh, an extremely short cartridge or an extremely short gas system, excuse me, is extremely unreliable. Uh, uh, the carbine gas is seven inches with a uh, little bit of extra barrel attached on the end. You get around ten inch barrel. That's about. Where some companies will actually stop selling barrels, or at least they used to, and then you have the pistol length gas at four inches with a little more barrel on that you're you're barely letting all the powder burn. so any like off the off the shelf commercial market stuff that doesn't burn its powder well will not gain as much velocity That's as right. you want. I misspoke when I said four and a half inches because that wouldn't make
0: any sense. It was seven and a half inches.
1: Yeah, and a lot of that actually has to do with reliability because there's like all this stuff about the air platform that people have now analyzed to Helen back about the dwell time, the chamber pressure, how much length of barrel you need to actually burn the powder you're using in your, in your ammo to be able to launch the projectile as well as cycle the action. And that one guy that I told you that bought the the Springfield, he actually built a little pistol that doesn't work right because it's (laughs) tiny. Gotcha. And he's trying to shoot commercial spec two two three out of it, and it's just so tiny that it doesn't cycle. Interesting. And you have to mess with the buffer weights as well inside of the the back end of the AR. Basically, it's super finicky. It is super duper finicky.
0: Like, I found with that MPX, it was just, I mean whether the you MPX, enjoy the, the impulse or not it seems to work pretty flawlessly
1: yeah the MPX is actually I compared to the AR-18 it has the two springs running on the top inside the upper itself and yeah no it, it works I'll give it that it works and it's tactically relevant because it runs off of AR like uh, components accessories yeah accessories that was the word I was looking for but yeah, no, it, it if you wanted something that shot 9mm, and if you stuck one of those Terran Tactical base plate things on it, you suddenly have 41 rounds of 9mm, and that's really nothing to sneeze at, especially if you're shooting like 147 grain plus B+. Plus. Yeah. That's basically the fuck you, your car, your dog,
0: everything. <laughs> I think it's interesting <laughs> that the military is putting in orders for SMGs all of a sudden, where, it's, as far as I was aware, it was not really a thing going back 10 years, you know?
1: Yeah, because the the face of warfare is changing and the face of lethality is also changing because we maybe like the military is pivoting at least within these past handful of years from uh, what's called the coin fight, the counterinsurgency counter like counterterrorism kind of fight that we saw in Afghanistan, like the Taliban and all that stuff. Right to a date fight, which is direct action against uh, larger world armies and things that NATO would need to be in spec for, like Russia and in China thing. and whatnot. But where these things fill their roles, like the, the small SMGs is always fit for like helicopter pilots who are downed and like tankers who have no room inside the tank for an M four, that kind of thing. And like the m17 obviously is supposed to be filling that role for some some people now that it's being rolled into real units my unit actually just got the m17 as i showed you in a picture right it's all right i imagine it's relatively comparable to the beretta
0: it's replacing
1: yeah and you know in like 10 15 years it'll be just as have just as terrible of a reputation for being plastic and having been beat up by all the armors and kids who don't know how to clean it (laughs) and you know bad magazine springs and so on and so forth <laughs>
0: from the uh civilian side honestly the smg is just super fun to shoot at least for me because it's sort of like you can do long range shooting with yeah. a real rifle but for us we were trying to hit plates at and 100 you know, two yeah 100. 200 yard, it was yards it was 100 yeah, but you sort of, you know, you have to take into mind the the, the trajectory drop, you know, right, and the drop yeah. of the 9mm. Right, and, and that's, also the, that's also and the other thing. Like
1: you, you notice how easy it was to shoot that. Yeah. Now, a short barrel rifle has a much larger report, much larger, uh, well, not larger amount of recoil. 2-3 still manageable. It's just, if you look at it, it's easier to shoot. You might get more rounds on target with an SMG than you will with a rifle. Right. I imagine you're going to get a lot, like if you're shooting a 5.56, five, you're going to get a lot of uh keyholing and
0: tumbling out of something that small. They've,
1: the ammo ammo has come a long way, but if you're shooting, you know, one of those super short 7-inch barrel like 556 five, guns, then maybe not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but still. The 300 Blackout was that designed for like a 10-inch barrel? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. 300 Blackout is definitely designed for a much shorter barrel rifle so you can selectively suppress it if you feel like it, right? And that was like the entire point behind it to get 762x39 performance out of a very short rifle. What I always liked was the P90s, like, you know, the
0: magazine on top. Mm-hmm. It was really nice for recoil management. The 5.7, it was ballistically, you know, capable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish it wasn't proprietary. I wish there wasn't so much plastic on it. Mm. It feels, you know, it's it was developed, in, I want to say, like, 20 years ago or something at this point, or 15 years ago. Christ, has it been that long? Yeah, I, it was in, like, Counter-Strike 1. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I, I wish that they could sort of build on that design because it was at least something unique relative to what else was on the market and, and right. it still is relative to, to well, other designs. It well, was, it was
1: a very purpose-built tool. Like, I want to be able to punch through armor with this thing. Here's a cartridge that will. Okay? Is it deadly? I don't know, but here's 50 of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it'll, it'll be deadly eventually. <laughs> Uh, I just fill the air with lead and hope for the best. It'll kill hard targets. I mean, like, it was, all right. yeah, highly compact. I mean, you could fit uh, a ton of ammo. It was, well, it was it's c- it's the defensive equivalent of putting a Cobra in a basket. <laughs> like, you just open it up and the Cobra's there and you're just suddenly having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> that was the entire point of it, because if you've ever had an M4 in a car, an M4 in a Humvee, an M4 in anything, it, it's terrible. Like, just can't move. You, you, you really can't get it angled properly. <laughs> And that's been like one of the major complaints. That's why they came up with the CTVR, the Mark Eighteen, like the ten-inch barrel version. Yeah. And that's about where it goes. But that's yeah. So it's it, the the idea of a PDW for responding with extremely aggressively to something coming in from the outside, especially when you're in a vehicle or in a very confined environment. That's that's where it shines. So I guess that's a good jumping off point to the military
0: is is purchasing this new ammo, six-point-eight SPC two, I
1: guess. Uh, it's new for the military, not new as a cartridge. Right. No, I, we've known about it for Let, a long let's, time. Let's clarify that for the viewers at home here. Yes, when see. I say new, I mean the
0: military is buying something that's new for themselves in that they've been buying 5.56 5. since
1: Vietnam. They ordered some new rifles and some new squad automatic weapons chambered in 6.8 SPC, which, ballistically, 6.8 SPC is slightly larger than 5.56, 5. slightly smaller than three oh eight. And is essentially punchier five five six. I mean, it's designed to sort of fill that
0: niche in between, I guess, and and right. they want to make it sort of a all in one instead of of carrying seven six two and five five six. Right,
1: because a lot of what you see out of an infantry squad, infantry platoon, all that stuff, doctrinally, it's, it's one guy has the big gun. Well. One guy has the big, big gun, the mass mass casualty producing weapon, the mass cal weapon, which is going to be a machine gun. Like a heavy machine gun or a light yeah, machine gun? Like 240 gunner. Bravo, which okay. is like in three, like in uh, 762. Gotcha. And usually there's another guy there helping him with it. And that, that thing is the thing that will produce the most kills. That's just like what it's there for. The individual rifleman, the effectiveness of the individual rifleman we've seen out of studies, especially out of the old war department ever since Vietnam, isn't that high. The individual rifleman, like that whole myth of like the American sharpshooter, it's dead at this point.
0: I mean, that's why they moved away from battle rifles in the first place, isn't it? Right, yes.
1: That is exactly why we moved away from battle rifles, because it just wasn't... An, the, the volume of fire was really what they wanted to concentrate on. Because if you can increase the individual volume of fire, but they also realized that 5.56, five, you can improve it, and we have, by quite a lot, so that now uh, there's loads that are tuned to be able to function... Just as deadly out of a fourteen and a half M four barrel as out of a twenty inch, and there are loads now. The, the what M eight fifty five A one is made out of a single steel penetrator or whatever, so it'll be biodegradable. So we're not putting lead in random places. Yeah, I mean, the seventy seven grain rounds, or the Mark two six two. That that's a lot higher end than we'll ever see down to like an individual like brigade combat team level, right?
0: So what's the theory behind this? Six point eight for the individual soldier that like is the intent. That it lets you shoot It lets you shoot further and slightly more with slightly more punch to it. That's really it. <laughs> so from a tactics perspective, because obviously I'm not in the military, I don't know. Are, is there expectation to be providing like some sort of suppressing fire for other troops to move? Like what? What's the well, suppressing
1: fire is just standard part of it. Like the, the basic combat load for an individual soldier that they have as a standard is about seven magazines, six on use, and one in the gun more if you're in the infantry because that's all you do with your life you dig holes and you shoot things <laughs>
0: so are you a fan of this move do you think that really they should stick with five five six and different types
1: of loads do you think that they should have looked i think at we're reaching anotype? near the end of where the effectiveness of developing five five six there's only so much we can do unless we come up with some miracle of chemistry and like physics okay. so expanding obviously innovation is always good for the market I'm always behind that, and the military is going to go look at something, and eventually, as, you know, will drag their jab of the Hut ass to the end of the thing, and, like, figure out what they want to do with their lives. <laughs> and th- this honestly needs to be taken in context with the much larger development of uh, Russian and Chinese weaponry. If you see the, you know, these gun shows and stuff like that that are hosted internationally, Russia has been coming out with stuff that's attempted to catch up the AK platform to where the amount of modularity and stuff out of the AR. Right. It's definitely felt like they're copying a lot of elements from the AR Right. Or they'll just wholesale copy an AR. Like there's a Russian (laughs) AR now. (laughs) And so that's part of it. And internally, there's actually a lot of opacity about China. We don't know what they use a lot of the time. We get captured ammo. We get captured things. It's just like they seem to be copying the 5.56, but slightly different interesting like is it good is it bad we really don't have any ballistics data for it they'll say it's amazing they'll say you know it's the best thing from communism since bread because they don't have any <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i'd be curious to know what their small arms development is like now that i think about it i haven't really yeah it's really okay than, like That's... old clones
1: of stuff and they're usually yeah, yeah. considered pretty low quality yeah but like the qbz battle rifle series with like the bullpups and all that stuff like China- it's in pubg <laughs> yeah, oh you sure. don't want to go back to gaming I see. I like <laughs> China, China's very opaque and like we're always at some point we have to admit like yes we are the superpower of the world but at the same time we can't just keep fighting a war against ourselves Yeah, like, that's a thing like development comes in real conflict and this this is part of a move that like in theory might be good and might just be just a complete waste of time might not actually do anything statistically
0: yeah I know there's been sort of talk of, of um,
1: like caseless ammo and sort of like right that would be a real innovation caseless ammo was like the pipe dream of the 90s where you no longer had ejected casings right and you know the only thing that actually made that work was the G11 and never really made it out of the prototype stage because it functioned on German space magic (laughs) (laughs) clock magic inside of what was it? essentially a large black box that seemed to expel bullets occasionally (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's end on on this what i consider to be a
0: positive trend We've, we've railed against 40 for a long time it's our opinion it's been this sort of stupid middle ground between 9 mil and 45 that's the worst of both
1: worlds yeah and uh it sounds like it's sort of falling out of favor that Over the last handful of years, yeah, police departments, you'll see it online, actually, if you shop for some deals, there's going to be a lot of department trade in 40s. And I think that's a good thing, obviously. They're switching mostly to 9, or they're switching a lot back to 45? I I see a lot of people saying 9. People saying their departments are going back to 9. The FBI went back to 9. Yeah. And I think that comes along with the fact that 9 mil has developed quite handily, actually. Yeah,
0: especially the high-grain 9 mil. You know, if you're getting a... like a large grain
1: hollow point or something that's going to be pretty effective against an unarmored human target. Right. Yeah, that. And uh, if we go back to the main basis of testing, which was the FBI testing from the you know Miami shootout, you got a lot of their very specific requirements of being able to get past like heavy clothing, auto glass. Auto glass is the big one. It's the, it's the deformation and the re-angling once you hit auto glass. That's like big for like law enforcement from what they seem to. Be. And also percentage lethality that happens after it comes into contact with a uh, back like a wall of some variety because in law enforcement in your daily life you don't want to accidentally kill something that's behind a wall right and so that the development of nine mil to be able to do that and is has come along quite a ways and the fbi thinks that 40 is now not really worth their time also you get to carry a lot more ammo when when uh, carrying that. a lot it's a relative term but yeah more more is definitely better as we were talking about volume of fire definitely helps i think typically in a similar size gun you're
0: looking at about a 30 percent increase
1: yeah about three rounds per magazine something like that well that's that's not nothing no not at all and like or more depending on what magazines you're carrying so like i carry a I 92 all the time and so that's 18 rounds flush fit 20 rounds if i want the fat base pad in the 96 you're down to 12 right more or less. I don't know if they actually make the 40 magazine with anything from Megar but yeah. So you're, you'll, you'll see a large increase in that. You'll see a large increase in uh, like the market, but where 40 is actually thriving right now from what I understand is like the competition circles because they're able to make more custom handloads for 40.
0: Interesting. Is it flatter
1: trajectories at the distances they're shooting or just well, a lot of up close competition and stuff like that you can lower the load and just play around with it a little more and like some of the powder without accidentally causing too much high pressure inside the pistol itself Interesting I mean I
0: guess it shouldn't be something for me to, to wish negativity on more firearms related stuff but I'd be happy to see forty sort of fade and you know development see 10 mil come back That would be fun <laughs> Not for yeah. any practical reason, I just want to see it come back. Or something new. i sort of been... I, I know we touched on the P90 earlier, but the, the FN57, the pistol, mm-hmm. despite it being ugly... Now it's old, so it looks plastic and gross, but from a, an ammo capacity standpoint, it was really cool. Someone's and,
1: actually come... Uh, what was it? CMG is coming with a new 5.7 uh, pistol rifle thing.
0: Uh, yeah, but it was like an SBR-ish. like Ish. You can put a pistol rifle on. it. type yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean more it's in something. terms of an actual pistol. It's true, it is something. But I, I was sort of hoping like, right? Well, you know, maybe right five zone become less proprietary, and someone would come out with an actual new gun based. Well, right on... now
1: we're seeing the pistol market is like everybody wants to make a Glock. Everybody, you know, wants to make a CZ Glock. Everybody wants to make the whatever striker fired bullshit plastic pistol everybody wants. Yeah, I, that's what I'll I'll give Sig you know there are a lot of issues with the P320 platform you
0: know the M17 but it's just the issues
1: I, I, with their QC like i feel like that's their baseline they're they're the call of duty
0: manufacturer at the moment it's true but at least it's slightly different than ha, imagine if glock had become the official you know provider of military handguns we'd see nothing but glock clones and i've gotten sick of glock clones we still see nothing but Glock clones. Well, they're all plastic. They're <laughs> striker fire, but you know, you still get manual safeties
1: at least on firearms, and- right? And Glock has something that the, their M seventeen project handgun had a manual safety on it.
0: Yeah, but I don't think that ever reached civilian production. No,
1: because Glock perfection, I suppose.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I'd be happy to see us go back
0: to doing other things. And I'm a big proponent of metal guns. I don't need that much plastic in my.
1: Gu- I get yeah. that it's lighter, but you know i, I don't see care metallurgy and like see some changes in metallurgy because if like more aluminum frame handguns or whatever with the equivalent because polymer has its advantages i'll give it that like, yeah. if you carry a polymer gun for a while you realize how light it is in comparison once you go back to a metal one right um striker fired take it or leave it at this point it's a single consistent trigger pull and it works i suppose but i'm not a fan of stagnation and i don't like the safe
0: action pulls i feel like it really like the the feel on the pad of my finger is really not so convenient yeah, I don't know. It's
1: just not not that nice. <laughs> that's right. like that's another thing that like after a certain amount of practice and a certain amount of like shooting, you just go. A lot of handguns are really really samey. Yeah, unless they're like so far afield like you're shooting a Tokarev or something like that. <laughs> but like they're all about the same size. They all shoot 940, 45, whatever cartridge to put it downrange, and there's really not a whole lot of difference except for how it feels in your hand. If you're shooting, you know, the mainline market, obviously, I'm not talking about, like, revolvers or any, like, these, like, wildcat ones.
0: Right. So, anyways, I think that's a good ending point. We'll just say all handguns are basically the same. Sure. Everything is meaningless. hmm And, uh... Existence has no meaning. Yeah. Meaning has no meaning. Yeah, I don't know. The reality is a hologram by what What's the point of words? <laughs> anyways, hopefully it won't be another two years before our next podcast. I hope so. But, uh, that's it for today's episode of the Not Operator Podcast. Not a podcast. Gonna stab him.